Welcome to It's a Good Life, a podcast dedicated to helping you live your best one. Here's your host, Brian Buffini. Well, the top of the morning to you and welcome to It's a Good Life. I'm your host, Brian Buffini. Really excited to be with you today. I hope you enjoyed our previous episode, which was an interview with Apollo Ono. And I just think it's always inspiring to be around people who have pursued whatever their calling is at the very highest level. Failed, overcome, and then ultimately won. And there's so much to learn. And I'm not going to spend too much time with you today on this, but I'm going to share with you some things that I took from that episode that I have applied. And that episode was previously recorded, you know, almost a couple of years ago. And in the replaying of it and listening to it again, it really affected me. And I found some great insight uh, that has helped me. And I thought I would share that with you guys and see what it means to you. So three things that I took from Apollo's interview. One is something I believe that's extremely helpful right now. He talked about that it was time on occasion to detach. Detach, and then he had the phrase, get up on the balcony. Now, getting up on the balcony, uh, some people will in business talk about uh, you need a 40,000-foot view of things, which is, which is a cool term, but it's also very disconnected. I like the idea of getting up on the balcony. So first, you have to detach. Detach from where you're at, detach from what you're doing, even detach from who you're doing it with. It also means detach from the routines you're in, the habits you're in. So, for example, I'll do this from time to time while I take a weekend, and I won't bring my phone. Now, where I'm going, if, if, if Beverly's not with me, I will obviously, hey, here's the hotel I'm staying at, here's what I'm doing, here's a phone number if there's an emergency, whatever else, so I can rest at night, right? I'm a responsible husband and father, and business owner, if something crisis happens, they know how to get a hold of me. The thing is, the thought of that is what has me married to my phone all the time. And when I'm married to my phone, along with my computer and the email and all those kinds of things, I don't detach. What's happened now is the lines have become so blurred, especially with people working from home or doing a hybrid version of commuting and working from home, is there's not a clear enough separation between home life and work life. If you're working from home, and to some degree, everybody is to some degree right now, it's very hard to know when home is and when work is, and it's easy to drift between the two. And we know that drift is bad news, right? Drift is hell, steer is heaven. So we need to detach, which is a clear and separate, intentional detachment. You can do this. You could detach for an hour. You could detach for a day. My preference is a weekend or a couple of days. I've done it midweek, but I tend to do it better over a weekend. And that's an old hang-up I have, because I'm the guy that, even though I've owned my own business for 35 years, I somehow feel better about a day off when everyone else is not working. I don't know why that is. And so I'm sure I'll, I'll get help for all that at some point in time in the future. But the fact of the matter is, I'll take a weekend, and I detach. So if I bring the computer, I will not open the email under any circumstances. I'm bringing the computer purely and simply for a um, research purpose, or I want to look something up, and it could be a fact, a stat, it could be a place I want to go, something I want to visit, uh, things like that. So detach, and then get up on the balcony. I loved when he talked about that, because to me, the balcony is close 
enough to see, but far enough to not be in. And uh, this is the old phrase from from a business standpoint. Uh, Michael Gerber, in his seminal work, The E-Myth Revisited, talked about work on your business instead of be in your business, right? Because you can't see the wood for the trees. And so this is, for me, work on my life and not be in my life. And take a look at it. And, uh, you know, you have goals, and then you have how am I doing on those goals? The more tricky things, and that's why, you know, uh, when I'll do one of these weekends, every other time I'll definitely have Beverly with me because sometimes you need to get feedback on those things that are more, a little more challenging. For example, you might have character goals. Uh, I might have, hey, I want to be a better husband. Well, you know, am I, am I going to give myself a great assessment of that or being a parent or whatever? So sometimes you need that uh, source as a feedback. So detach and get up on the balcony is, is powerful stuff. And so I just, for me, I have now made that a regular. So I will detach and get up on the balcony once a quarter. And I don't make a big deal of it. You know, I, I find a place that's local. So these are all staycations. Uh, by the way, I've done it now in such a way that it's one night stay. And I'll get a late checkout. So here's how to watch your budget. So I'll, I'll check in the earliest I can. And then I'll spend the night. And then I'll do the next day and I'll get a late checkout. Sometimes you have to pay a few extra dollars to get the later checkout. But basically it's one night and a day and a half away. And it does wonders. And it does wonders. You know, I live in a pretty nice place here in San Diego, and it's wild. I, I, go, I can go five and ten minutes, and I'm in a little different environment, and uh, it works wonders. So detach, get up on the balcony. It's good for business. It's good for life. It's good for everything. And for me, you know, I work through the five circles. I, I do it spiritually. I'll, I'm doing the assessment. I'll do the, uh, how am I doing family and relationships? How's the biz? How's the finances? How am I doing physically, emotionally? How's that whole thing going? The next piece um, that is very, very significant and I think a great insight from a high achiever is when Apollo talked about what feeling do you really hate? What feeling do you really hate? You know, one of the great dynamics in life is when you take ownership of your life, first, you now you're no longer a victim. Uh, and ownership's a powerful word when you lean into it. And it's like, what feeling do I hate? And it's like, I don't want that anymore. And I've used that in, in certain, and it's, it's, a, it's a great short-term motivator. Now, it's not a long-term. You can't be fueled by hate long-term without it consuming you. But what feeling do you hate? Okay, so it could be, I hate the feeling of not being able to fit into my clothes. I hate the feeling of, for me, I remember uh, when I was broke, following my motorcycle accident, and the feeling when a bill collector called me, and I had no way to pay the bill, that feel I despised that feeling so much. I'm like, I am never going to experience this again. And I, I call those your Popeye moments, right? Popeye, remember? He was always up against Brutus, and he had the girlfriend, olive oil, and he, he, he'd get to a point, he was getting beaten up and battered and bruised, and he'd say, that's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. He'd pop the can of spinach, and away he'd go. And uh, that was the end of that. There's times to pop the can of spinach. What feeling do you really hate? And so in that, it's like, okay, I don't want to feel like this anymore. And it could be in a relationship, and maybe it's we're going to go work through this. I, I might go see a counselor, or we might go to counseling together, because I hate this feeling when we're talking, we can't go anywhere. And so, okay, and you got to hate that feeling more than you like staying stuck at where you're at, okay? You know, eating the 
high fat, sugary foods, it's it's rewarding. But you have to hate the feeling that it brings more than the pleasure it brings. And that's often how this goes. Like, you know, you, you get to go out for drinks with your buddies. But if you wake up the next morning and you feel like crap, you got to hate that feeling more than you like the buzz of hanging out with your buddies. So it's like, okay, I, I okay, I'm going to go for a drink, but I'm not going to have this many drinks because I hate that feeling. And so that's where it really benefits you. And so inside that, Apollo talked about reward yourself uh, on the process and not the prize. And that really is counterintuitive and insightful. I think it's brilliant. So you got to reward yourself on the process, not the prize. So uh, about six months ago, I started having a guy who's a brilliant guy who is kind of a, a business consultant. And of course, in in he's he's basically helps people who are chief executive officers, entrepreneurs like myself. He's also even helped you know a couple of the mega pastors with the giant churches who often have no one to talk to either. By the way, and it's interesting you know because he's got the brilliant insight, and I went to him because he's got the great insight for the business and the structure and all these types of things. And then at the same time, he's got great insight on the people. And that's really what I'm enjoying. And, you know, he'll, he'll share with me things. This is the pattern he sees over and over again. And one of the dynamics he brought up that just cut me to the quick, he said, I, he said his most successful people that he works with, when they get burned out, is because they don't reward and celebrate. And I'm sitting there and I have nothing to say because between me and my brother Dermot, who's the CEO of the company, we jokingly call each other the Celebration Brothers because our idea of when a major accomplishment's happened or an achievement's happened, it's, you know, yeah, but, yeah, but we've got to do this. And yeah, but, yeah, 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 we, but, but, you know, we still have this. So we're always focused on the next goal. And it's almost like you break your chest at the tape. You just won the 100 meters and you're looking up to see the start of the 1500 meters. And that's why sometimes in my working life, I've seen uh, how I just people are exhausted. I'm like, what's exhausting? We got another goal. Isn't this exciting? Let's go. So he shared with me, and I'm going to be doing uh, a show on this specifically about, uh, we're going to talk about burnout, and we're going to talk about one of the key ingredients to avoid burnout is celebration. And I'm going to tell you, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a strange concept to me. Now, I have friends who, man, they can celebrate anything. They, they pay off a $500 credit card, they throw a $1,000 party. You know what I'm saying? Like, they are prone to celebrate. They love doing it. And someone like myself looks at it, and I can make fun of it because I don't really value it. It turns out not only do I need it, but the people around me need it. And the reason is, is that it makes everything the perennial marathon. So when he said reward yourself in the process, reward yourself on the process, not the prize, it's okay, you worked out four days this week. That's something worth celebrating. In whatever way that, and maybe the celebration is, I'm going to take a half day off. Or maybe the celebration is, uh, I love going for a walk on the beach. I'm going for a walk on the beach. Maybe the celebration is, I love to read. That means I'm going to read a half a day. Whatever the celebration is, whatever does it for you. Now, that's really what you want to connect to. And so it is crucial because that, as it turns out, is the key. And Apollo talked and we talked offline about himself dealing with burnout. And he was not much of a celebration guy, but when he learned this principle, 
to reward himself in the process. This is what he did to, to get his last Olympic. When he went to the third Olympics, this is what he did. He rewarded himself all the way along and he celebrated all the way along. So that's very powerful. One of his other tips was to stay hungry and to stay foolish. And I think that's fantastic. From him, stay foolish means keep learning. Right behind me here, I have the, the great Italian phrase uh, from Michelangelo. It says, uh, Incaro imparo, which is, I am still learning, which is what he had on his tombstone, right? So we want to stay foolish. We want to keep learning. The other part is to stay hungry. And it's hard to do that, especially if you've knocked off goals. Um, some of you have been coming to my events and seminars for 25 years. And you've written, oh, at this stage, hundreds of goals because we write goals at all of them. And it's hard. How do you stay hungry after all the goals? And the key is you can stay hungry without feeling the, the, the need to be driven. But the hunger is really, for me, it, it can mature, right? Just like your taste buds can mature, your goals can mature, and you become more sophisticated in your approach. So you need to stay hungry. And I have an experience like this where a, a guy that I mentored and brought along uh, he was an immigrant, and he's come to the country, and I gave him his first opportunity, and he killed it. And then I gave him his next opportunity, and he killed it. And then over the years, we built a friendship and a relationship, and he wanted to invest in real estate, and I invested with him, and he's just gone from success to success, and now he is a success. And what happened is over time, he just lost his drive, and now is, is kind of in the old midlife crisis where he's, he's kind of aimless. Because he really thought, once I get to this place, and once I have this this amount of real estate, and once I'm earning this kind of passive income, I'll have made it. Well, you made it financially, but there's more to life than that. He's not an old man. He's not a young man either, but he's struggling with his health. He doesn't have any peace of mind. And now he's, you know, when, when, you, when you lose that hunger, then you're trying to replace perhaps the adrenaline rushes you've had in the past and so on and so forth. So now he's looking at things or, thinking about things that are going to do them harm ultimately. And so you get to stay hungry. An example of that for me was my podcast. So it started out as the Brian Buffini show. I've done all these events. I've done this. And, you know, I'm in the hall of fame in real estate and we've trained millions of people and coached tens of thousands of people. And I had this content I want to deliver to more people and it turned out to be very successful. And then as I more and more, I got into it and got into it. Now I really start to, you know, create a vision for what I want to do in this third phase of my life, that's when the concept of the whole it's a good life, which is something I've been a part of and believed in for 30 years. I have a, a license plate holder with, that says it's a good life. And so, you know, I get to stay hungry, but I'm hungry in a different way. You know, I get to stay hungry, but now I'm in, a, in, a, in, in the podcast. Like, this is not something I do to make a living. This is not something I get paid for. This is something uh, that we do to try to reach as many people as possible. And you know, if we have a few sponsors and whatever else, it's just to keep the message going, to reach as many people as possible to, you know, cover all the, the different expenses with it. But this is, this is a different type of hungry. So now I'm, I'm hungry for impact. And so that's, that's a key. So I, I really found a lot of value in that. Lastly, Apollo just touched on something, and it was just something you might have missed it. I probably missed it the first time that I interviewed him. But he talked about overtraining. And because uh, I was asking him, hey, what's your day look like? You know, break it down. And again, we're all, if you listen to that podcast, you know, he's talking about four to five workouts a day. He's talking about up at five in the morning and he does this and does that and four hours on the ice. And then he's on the bike. And holy moly. 
you know, for people like me or the average person, you know, I'm thinking 30 minutes on the treadmill or the step mill. You know, I've done my workout today. I feel proud of myself. And it's almost wild what the human body can actually do when you hear these fellas talking about it. You know, they're pushing themselves that many hours. It was interesting. He just alluded to it. He said, well, with the science and what we know today, uh, we were we were more than likely overtraining. And kind of the good news for him is that everybody was overtraining. So they actually, uh, they didn't have an unfair advantage. So now what do they know? Now what do Olympians know that Apollo Ono didn't know? Is that you just work, 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 grind, grind, grind is actually not the optimal state of performance. It's work, rest, recover. Work, rest, recover. Work, rest, recover. And, uh, you know, I've talked about this before. We talked about in the real estate cycle, we have the Dooley Curve. Uh, that we uh, introduced to the real estate coaching business, which is we found this season of when people could work hard to generate leads and make sales and then take a little break and then rest and recover. And it was ultimately built on the science um, of the Iditarod and the, uh, a gentleman by the name of Martin Buser. And Martin Buser raised Iditarod dogs. And I've talked about this before, but, you know, it's funny how they had this going on with the Iditarod dogs and didn't have it with the Olympic athletes. And so what was the story? I did a rug, you know, it's the, it's, a, it's the last great raw race in the world. And it's, I can't remember, it's like 1,100 miles through the Alaskan tundra. And they actually would breed dogs that would run basically 24 hours a day. They had these treadmills and they trained the dogs to run 24 hours a day. And they'd actually teach and train the dogs how to do this. And the average lifespan of these dogs was about four years. And um, it used to take about, I believe, 21 to 24 days to do the Iditarod. And then along comes this guy, Martin Buser, who brought this dynamic of, he understood these dogs were overtraining, that rest and recovery, go hard and rest and recovery. And basically the science for him was he would train his dogs to go intensely hard for a period of time. Then he would rest them and shut them down. And then go again and then rest them and and shut them down. And here's what happened. And if the memory serves right, I believe Martin was winning the race in like nine days instead of 21 days. He won four Iditarod races in a row. The average lifespan of the dogs he used was 12 to 14 years as opposed to four years. And when they bred the dogs, by the way, they lived a lot longer. So Martin made money. He made his money breeding the dogs. He made his money by letting these dogs live longer. And they were performing at a higher level. Well, if it'll work in the Iditarod, it'll work for you and me in our chosen profession. And that is go hard, rest and recover. Go hard, rest and recover. Go hard, rest and recover. And again, um, this was kind of a passing phrase uh, that was in the podcast. I missed it at the time, but I've since, I've been working on this. I've been looking at this. I've been preparing for podcasts on burnout and so on and so forth. And here was Apollo Ono saying, we didn't know it at the time we were overtraining. And so, Guess what? We can overdo it. We can overdo it in every area of our life. And um, so what we need to do is go hard. Do you really go hard? And then rest, recover, shut it down. Go hard, rest, recover, shut it down. And uh, that's, that's, boy, that's Olympic caliber stuff, you know? And so just some great stuff. You know, I, I really enjoyed this interview. There's some quotes I'm going to read back to you that I think uh, are worth remembering. Uh, Like I talked about the stay hungry and stay foolish. He said, always continue to learn, always to stay hungry no matter what. We as human beings have the capacity to always grow. 
and we can change our neural chemistry through this, that system. We're understanding how that works now. So the mindset to me was always that single greatest tool. And that's, you know, great stuff. He talked about I had the raw talent, but talent alone, unfortunately, just wasn't enough. It's the starting line. We all have talent. We've got to go work on our talent. You know, my staff, when we go do events, they're always kind of amazed that after 25 years, the level of preparation that goes into an event, and they know it. And we'll have other speakers come and so on and so forth. And finally, I had one of my staff people, there was a, a group of the speakers were going in to do this event, and and they weren't that prepared, and they didn't have their stuff together. And this young man stood up and he says, you know, Brian's the only guy who doesn't need to prepare, but he's more prepared than all of you put together. I don't tell you that story to self-aggrandize myself. I'm just telling you that talent alone is not enough. You know, I, I've been blessed with the gift of gab and been able to communicate from stage. But I honor that gift with preparation. I've honed that gift through experience. And uh, I never show up. We actually show up for these episodes of the podcast. I know if you listen to a lot of other podcasts, a lot of people just sit in front of the mic and start going. Or they're having a chat. And there's a, there's a place for that. It's just conversational. Uh, me and the team, we prepare for each one of these podcasts like it's an event. Uh, and it's the only one we're ever going to do. And the amount of work that goes into it and the preparation that goes into it, very significant. Um, but that allows, to me, that level of preparation allows you then to be just in flow and um, to go with it. Um, anyhow, I just, I hope you enjoyed the interview with Apollo Ono. It's, uh, I hope you've gotten a, some form of inspiration in watching these Olympians. I think it's great to be around these kind of folks. I wanted to bring that episode back to you uh, because I think it's timely. Uh, for those of you who are coming to Mastermind this year, you're going to get to see him in person. What a great communicator. Uh, what a great achiever and a great person. And so we're really excited. We have a phenomenal lineup for Mastermind this year. Uh, we have Ben Nempton, uh, who's uh, going to be there. We have Captain Charlie Plum, who was uh, in the Hanoi Hilton and came through you know, the most harrowing season of life as a, a prisoner of the Viet Cong and came out with a phenomenal attitude and uh, just a phenomenal character. So, and guess what? I'll be there too, and I'll be ready. And I'll be ready, and I'll be there to bring you my version of uh, my version of the speed track, if you will, and the, the skating. I'll do my own uh, Olympic performance that day as well. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. It was something different, something to think about. And uh, I want to bring you a little short thought of things that I really got from Apollo Ono, and maybe they'll help you too. So until next time, God bless. Here's uh, Mother Therese with a little blessing for you. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time.